Hello and welcome to Set Podcast to Stun, the podcast where we explore, explain, and enjoy the Star Trek franchise. I'm Anson Clint, joined by Lieutenant Corey and General Emily from the House of Duras. Thanks for joining us from the Klingon Empire, Emily. Kapla! How many uh, how many ranks do you think you're going to be able to do, Clint, before you just keep giving us the same one? I have no clue. I'm, I'm going to say 12. <laughs> have you counted every rank in that appears in Star Trek? <laughs> yep. I sat down and counted them all one day. I, I, will, I, I still want to just keep captain, though. The real shameful will be when I've achieved a high rank and then I get busted back down to private or ensign. <laughs> Corey was captain in our first episode, and I busted him down to lieutenant for complaining about this this system. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't complain, Emily, by by being made a part of the House of Duras. Uh, I do. Well, I forgave it because I do enjoy the Klingons quite a lot. Uh, my number one joy in DS9, or indeed the next generation, is when Gowron shows up. So He's pretty I'm great. I'm complain about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, say hi to your sisters, Lursa and uh, Vitor, for us. Don't mention my sisters. You are a man of dishonor. <laughs> Some pretty great uh, Klingon cosplay there, Emily. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, you guys ready to uh, jump into our discussion for this week? Uh, yep, the the Menagerie. Is that the one we're watching this week? No, we're watching um, Where No Man Has Gone Before. I know. I, I'm just, this is the first week where I've, I am synced up with you guys. But I'm ready to talk about a very, very average Star Trek episode <laughs> in terms of Star Trek episodes that I've seen so far. I've only seen two, though. So Hey, you gotta give them, this is just the second pilot, so you gotta give it them wasn't a break. Bad. Yeah. It was pretty, it, was, it wasn't bad. Yeah, it was entertaining. So... Clint, can I ask you a question? You've been calling this the second pilot. Is this really the second pilot? Because it shows up like episode number five or six. Yeah, yeah, it is the second pilot. So we're talking about where no man has gone before. In this episode, the Enterprise tries to penetrate the Great Barrier at the edge of our galaxy. So at the edge of the Milky Way galaxy. And while doing that, um, Kirk's good pal and helmsman, uh, Mr. Michael, um, he gets Esper powers and that's big trouble, apparently. So yeah, that's what... That's, Esper is ESP. Yeah, ESP, telekinetic powers, I don't know what you want to call it. But he's got it, and as Emily also described, this is the episode with the eyes. So he gets <laughs> he gets silver eyes and uh, mind powers, not a bad deal. So yeah, let's... Yeah, and like he can learn super fast, mm-hmm. and it makes him a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> But he was a creep before that, right? Yeah, he was. He was he calling was. that Daner chick a walking refrigerator a walking unit. Chill chest. Yeah, something like yeah. that. Yeah. So yeah, let's go back a little bit and talk about this. Is the second pilot? Um, this is the the first episode with Kirk in it, and I know it's weird, but that's just television where like the pilots like show up in like the the fourth. Well, or, or I can. Episode. I think I can explain that part. They they've. They filmed the first eight episodes with your classic crew all together, mm-hmm. uh, like with Kirk and, and all of them. They, so they filmed them all together. And it was, I think this was the first one that they did, but it wasn't the first that came out when when it when it was aired on TV. Mm-hmm. That was the uh, the one we're going to talk about next week. The What's it called? The salt one? The, the man trap. 
Yeah, so that was the one that <laughs> yeah. like viewers saw first. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't see the pilot first. So like basically they filmed the first eight episodes and then and then the studio was like, oh, you should make this one first because it has more action in it. Mm-hmm. You should put this one later because of whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was the studio's decision to mix those first eight episodes yeah. in the order that they did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so they went back. They they first did the one I forget what the the very first one is called with Pike in it. He um sent he sent that over to the studio. The studio didn't like it. Um, and then I heard Lucille Ball went to bat for for the show because she liked the show and she liked Gene Roddenberry. So she convinced the the studio to let them do another uh, pilot, and this is what they came up with. So. Um, you guys ready to jump into the episode? Yeah. Yep. Cool. All right. So, um, one thing is I do like the start of this episode. I think it's a really great way to introduce both Kirk and Spock where they're both, um, they're playing chess and Kirk is kind of almost daydreaming, um, or just really kind of contemplating their mission. At this point, they got this like distress signal from like a 200 year old ship. And so he's just kind of trying to think about, like, the danger involved and, you know, what they might face. And then um, Spock is just like, hey, we're playing this chess game. You know, I'm about to beat you in a couple moves. And then Kirk's like, whatever. And then he just does, like, one move and he, like, checks Spock and that sort of thing. And Spock is just like, I'm a Vulcan. I don't feel emotion, but I'm frustrated. Never in a... Could trillion years would that happen? <laughs> you guys, you guys saw the rebooted Star Trek where like the Vulcan children are incubated in those like spheres of just knowledge where they're just having uh-huh. information shouted at them for fifteen years and they have to answer like <laughs> trivia questions nonstop. Mm. And Kirk grew up on a fucking farm in like Iowa. <laughs> yeah. TNG tried to pull that shit too, where like Troy beat Data at yeah, 3D I remember chess. that. Uh huh. And then it's like Data, you have to learn to trust your instincts more. And it's like no, fuck that. Deep Blue <laughs> is not going to get beaten by like Tosh, you know, point whatever his name is, because he's like clever and rogue. Like I just hate that <laughs> stupid bullshit stereotype. Anyway, keep going. Yeah. Well, chess. I mean, chess is not that complicated. Where you can have like it's supposed to show where Kirk is such a like you know, left field thinker. He's such like a unconventional tactician that you can't get a handle on you him. You can't predict what he'll do next. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it's to a great kind of juxtaposition of Kirk to Spock where Kirk is like a big picture thinker. You know, he's always thinking about, you know, the big picture and what's going on. And Spock is always thinking about kind of like what's in front of him. And so he grounds Kirk also. So I think it sets up a really great dynamic where where they kind of work really great together, where one's kind of a big picture guy, the other guy kind of stays in the present. All, that is a I... great analysis, Clint. I'm sorry. I just wanted to say the only thing I wrote down for that first scene was Spock equals yellow skin. So <laughs> <laughs> it was like hella yellow makeup that they put on him. It was crazy. <laughs> sorry, Emily, go ahead. No, I was just going to say... I really love that scene because of how silly Kirk was. Um, I think that kind of encapsulates a lot of like the humor and warmth that um, the captain in the very first pilot didn't have at all. Um, Mm -hmm. And it, I think as far as chess goes, yeah, absolutely not. Like this is absurd. 
Um, but we do get that Star Trek vibe of it being kind of campy and silly and like these things exist for fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, the it, like watching this, I was like, oh, this is Star Trek. The other pilot just felt more like generic sci-fi when you mm-hmm. compare the two. Yeah, this feels a little bit more like I want to say like less sterile. The yeah. other the other pilot felt very kind of like clean and sterile, and and I think Shatner brings a good little bit of like messiness to it that this show really needs. In a in a show that celebrates. The best part about humanity, I think that like like humor and, and, and humility and camaraderie, like those are things that shine through in the in the in the main crew um, yeah. in this pilot. I am pleased, though, that one thing they did keep from the original pilot was that casual sweater vibe that everybody's rocking. <laughs> <laughs> you just like it's just a casual it's casual space Friday. It's casual <laughs> space. Yeah, <laughs> every day is casual space Friday. <laughs> Got to be comfortable. That's what people have learned. I mean, that's what we've we're in the future now, right? Compared to the '60s, people wear pretty comfortable things, you know, well, yoga pants and that's, and whatever. Yeah, the uniform of the pandemic is sweatpants. <laughs> <laughs> um, one other thing too, I like about Spock is. One thing is like, he's like frustration. Oh yes. That human emotion that you guys have. And it's like, even if you don't experience frustration or irritation, like you work with humans all the time. I think it was just him kind of like throwing shade, you know, or him being like (laughs) smug is he's like, Oh, frustration. Oh yes. That human emotion. And then also he says that one of his ancestors married, um, a human, you know, woman, like his grandfather or something like that. And, you know, this is the great part about it being like the first episode. They don't have all the canon nailed down, but it's like, Spock, your mom's a human. I think it's not (laughs) him. It's not him being like, oh, my ancestor. It's like him being ashamed of how human he is, you know? So he's trying to play it off that it's like, oh yeah, like my like eighth maternal grandmother is human, but I'm I'm a Vulcan. Far from being um, like... The character's not fleshed out yet. I love the theory you just popped out that Spock is actually this like drag queen level shade master. <laughs> and that whenever he claims that he doesn't understand emotions, he's really just being a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Spock is the uh, the master of shade, let me tell you. <laughs> All right, so let's move on. It's I think I mean it's it's an okay episode. It, there's some really great parts. Um I love how they're kind of introducing all the different department heads. Uh, Mm -hmm. One thing I thought was funny was I missed what Sulu was ahead of, uh, which is like astrophysics. But they say that so quickly that I missed it the first time. And then his next speaking role is when they're in the conference about like what to do about Mitchell after he gets his 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 sci-fi powers. And he's like, well, if you want to know the math of it. So for um, for a while, I thought uh, Sulu was just like ahead of math. Uh, on the on the ship he's just like well i'm i'm the head math person here and i'm just like man just get some stereotypes in there <laughs> later on uh we'll see that he's head of uh or he has his own little botany department too that he manages <laughs> that yeah, botany department is amazing i am so excited to talk about that yeah uh that was a great scene but let's uh let's hold off on that um yeah, so what do you guys think of uh, our good buddy Mitch here? Well, we should definitely run over his first, like, interaction slash speaking bit. 
where he's uh, hitting on a woman who's a doctor in a very, like, cringy 1960s way. <laughs> yeah, and it's so 60s to be like, oh, I'm hitting on you. It's like, oh, you're not receptive? Oh, what a cold bitch. I don't know. It's just like so 60s to think of some woman as like being cold and frigid, you know? I don't feel like today we ever talk about women really in those in those terms about like being cold. Yeah, I I was trying I found a trying to find that exact thing. Cuz it was really funny. It was essentially like on the level of if I told you you had a good body, would you uh hold it against me? Oh, I forget. Here we can uh we can play the exact quote, but it was like Oh, propagation of the uh, human race. Isn't that your department, doctor? Yeah, it was super, or like improving the breed or something. Oh, yeah, uh-huh. Oh, it was so weird. But, um, oh, yeah, uh, he says improving the breed, doctor. Is that your line? And she said, I heard that's more your specialty, commander, line included. And then he tells someone else that she's a walking freezer unit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I thought this was, like, terrible. But also, uh, given Star Trek's moment, and a thing that I thought modern sitcoms sometimes do, that they write these lines that are, um, like, they land well with multiple audiences. Like, for women who would have been offended by that, seeing the doc, like, having the doctor be like, fuck you... They would have liked that. But for men who would have enjoyed, like, hitting on women like that, they would have liked that he did that and that he called her a walking through unit and didn't get in trouble. Mm -hmm. So, like, I thought that was a really interesting and, like, sly bit where it could be pushing back on that kind of sexism, but not mm -hmm. so strongly that it's going to offend people. Mm. So it's something for everyone. Yeah. The, the sexist <laughs> and the progressive people. Yeah. God, I love Star Trek. It's a buffet of uh, pop culture that will land with any political affiliation. So, yeah, I just love this idea, too, that, um, I mean, the thing that happens is they get this distress signal from, like, a 200-year-old ship, right? And it, it made its way out to the edge of the galaxy. This is, like, the edge of the Milky Way, which I've never seen in any Star Trek after this, that they're just, like, at the edge of the Milky Way. And then apparently there's just some like weird magnetic barrier that like encompasses our our galaxy did you guys kind of get that because it, it didn't really make any sense especially when they were looking at it like on the viewer it was just this kind of like line thing and then they get in like can't you just like go above it to like leave our galaxy like why do you have to go through this this like crazy barrier <laughs> thing that's like i don't care about that because i'm dumb but uh my boyfriend james always gets mad when like in ds9 especially they find like an abandoned ship or like a ship that's hurt and it's upside down or something and he's like that doesn't make any sense there's no upside down in space it wouldn't flip around and i'm like i don't care like <laughs> they're doing it so that you know there's something wrong with it but he's just like this is technically stupid and that feels like exactly that same moment of like how will they know that it's the edge of the galaxy if we don't put a literal line there <laughs> <laughs> But it's not even, like, it's not a whole encompassing barrier. It's, like, yeah, literally, like, a line. So you could just <laughs> so go, like, weird. above it. 
Like, I could see, like, maybe there being a ribbon, but they're just like, hey, like, this basically killed the last crew. Let's give it a shot, you know? And then they go through it, and, oh, the scene, too, where, like, everything was exploding was great. Like, all the councils are, like, popping up and um, on fire. I love all the things they say. He goes, give me lateral power. I'm like, what does that even mean? (laughs) (laughs) Neutralize controls. They they never actually resolve the the thing that causes the like the plot device in this episode because they mm-hmm. go to the edge of the galaxy and then suddenly something goes inside of the brains of the most ESP sensitive crew members and then that's when that's the plot the stuff that happens with them afterwards but they never like like I feel like if it was a later Star Trek they would have like tried to figure out exactly what happened and try to reverse it based on that anomaly but they never go back there and they never research it and they never talk about it again they they leave it alone and yeah it's never brought up again well to, yeah because kirk's like well some people like uh now that we have because the other ship got out there on impulse alone and it it seems like it takes years on impulse to get out that far and now it takes since they have warp drive it takes them days But Kirk is like, well, you know, someone is going to have to go through this eventually. So why don't we just try it right now? And then they go through it and then it just completely fucks up their whole ship. And they're like, well, that was a bad idea. It's funny too because they could have resolved that with one line. Like I I didn't think about it until you mentioned it, Corey. But they could have had just like one person be like, we've fixed all of the, you know, whatever's from the whatever we went through back there. We should be good as new. And then, I mean, it would even be great after a commercial break. And then they're like, yeah, except the ESP people are still being weird. Well, I, doesn't it? I think there was a line where it kills a couple. They have a couple of fatalities because of it. Yeah, Like a couple of people's like, bur- like their brains burn out. And only Dr. Daner and Mitch are the only two like ESP people who like survive this. My favorite part about uh, after the after the storm passes the the doctor the lady's laying on the floor and she has like five people surrounding her and then the mitch guy is also laying on the floor but literally nobody is like around him like the camera pans up and you just see him laying on the floor by himself and they're like giving her like smelling salts and and did you see sulu is rubbing her uh shoulders yes <laughs> I'm glad we found out George Decay is uh is gay because that would be really creepy otherwise. I don't know. <laughs> it is a really weird scene. Uh something I wanted to bring up was ESP testing for Starfleet. I think it's interesting that that would Yeah, I think that it's like like should that cuz so ESP is extrasensory it flashes of insight, Corey. Yeah. It, it's it's interesting how it's attached to sci-fi uh, mm-hmm. and not so much like fantasy because it seems like a very mm-hmm. fantastical thing being able to read other people's minds mm-hmm. or yeah. or have like you know but I think it's the whole sci-fi thing where your brain is so super powered that you can you you can absorb all this twenty fourth century knowledge plus some you know um, mm-hmm. but I think it's interesting that twenty second century yeah t- yeah twenty second century yeah. Uh, but I think it's interesting that like sci- that 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 this is associated with sci-fi so much, but you don't really see it too much. Like it's in Starcraft, I guess. Like they got rid of it altogether in the new Star Trek, except for like some races can do it, and mm-hmm. like 
but, but like it's not something that humans can do. Um, but I do like the idea of like entrance exams for for Starfleet being a, including like can you read people's minds? Uh, do you mm-hmm. have ESP? Mm-hmm. But they but they kind of they they kind of got rid of that. But this was during the '60s when that was like a big thing where people mm-hmm. weren't sure. Like we don't know if we put you know a bunch of shapes in an envelope and have someone like just tell us what's in the envelope like we we don't have enough tests and a lot of people like really believed it in the 60s and i Mm -hmm. I don't know if people believe that like we were going to evolve to that point by that by that time um but Mm -hmm. gene Mm -hmm. rodberry put it in his pilot and he certainly probably thought so that's i like the connection that it's the 60s like Mm -hmm. it feels very 60s to me yeah and like the the um yeah the 60s were really interested in like spirituality like a lot of things cults uh belief in ufos um you know non-christian based like mysticism like all of that really in the 60s and this idea of like being a better human would have connected with that in a way that nowadays i i don't think that's quite the same like in the cultural consciousness in the same way that we think of being a better human is not being spiritual but being more like of an activist or like a ethical politician or something. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that would be maybe more why we see less of that. But that, that is really interesting um, because yeah, as you were talking, I was like, yeah, there's, they really do pair away a lot of sci-fi tropes in the newer iteration. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because too, I will probably get to this episode, you know, in another few of our episodes, but there's like, Charlie X, I haven't seen this one yet, but like that also focuses on a kid with, you know, psychic powers as well. So it seems like um, being psychic really goes hand in hand with um, kind of that whole sci-fi thing. Um, I guess it's just a, a, a area that they were kind of like excited to explore in fiction and along with sci-fi-ness, kind of like not only the exterior tech or the universe is being explored externally, but also like the human mind and the human capabilities are also being explored in, in the, these kind of early. I, another thing, like I, one of the notes I had for this episode was that it feels very twilight zone ish, mm-hmm. um, where like something happens and then it changes someone's brain and then they become super smart or something like, what would it mean to be a God? Um, and I think that that also feels very of the era, like um, that sort of like do ex machina is being what prompts this like philosophical drama. Um, and that this reminds me a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with you. One thing that I think is interesting too, is that they immediately clock this new psychic power as a threat, which I guess it comes from, them having the logs of the previous ship and they're looking up ESP powers and then the captain ordered the ship to self-destruct. So I guess that they already knew that it took down the other ship, but like just immediately, like they knew that like, you know, Mitch having Esper powers is going to be a problem and they need to do something about it. I don't know about that. I think it was more of Mitch being a complete <laughs> dick to everybody when he was in the hospital. Is bed. that what you think? Well, also, like, I think people, I don't remember, but, like, people seemed pretty cool with it. And also, they didn't really know what was going on. It was Spock who was like, 
listening to uh, the distress call from the other ship, and he's like, "That's gonna happen to us." Oh man! Oh gosh! This is uh, this is not good. And I think he was the. Oh, that's right. He was kind of like, "All right, you gotta kill everybody now." (laughs) Well, he's (laughs) he's just like, "This is gonna be a problem because I don't have emotions and I'm logical. I'm the only one who can." you know, tell you that this will be a problem. And then they're just like, kind of like, I like how they're spying on him too. You don't ever see that in other Star Treks of like, you know, like people looking through cameras at other people on the ship. Um, I don't know why, but that kind of like hit me. I, Corey, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, when, when he's staring at the yeah, camera. Yeah, well, and, and two, they say that like just controls are starting to operate themselves. And then like they look at him and he's like happy because they and they're like, I think he's, you know, trying to control the take control of the ship. I get the closest episode that I could think of with TNG is where um, Bark Barkley uh, takes over like the hollow deck and then he becomes like it, it, it's actually quite similar in a, in a lot of ways. Um, I, I were I wrote with the whole scene with the hospital, like where we first see him in the hospital bed after the accident because the doctor's fine. Like she she gets up from it. Um, but he ends up in the hospital and I'm sure in a second we'll talk about the most noticeable uh, <laughs> side effects of his, uh, of his injury, but he wakes up in the hospital and like, I just want to say like, I don't know, but I don't know if you guys are thinking the same thing, but the whole time with the doctor, it was like, why are you being so nice to him? Like, why are you mm-hmm. like defending him? And like, like everyone's like, you know, like we got to like do something about this guy. Like, I think he's kind of dangerous. And the whole time the doctor's like, no, he's cool. He's cool. Don't worry about him. And even when he's being like a misogynist pig and like trying to grab her and like, she like defends him the entire time. I just could not understand why, but then you find out at the very end, but it was just very like, it was, it was very really annoying. Uncomfortable. Uh, I, I want to, the hospital scene mm-hmm. went on for mm-hmm. so freaking long oh my god it was like it was like probably a, a quarter i wanted to ask episode. you guys that do you think so it's just when like they're just you know he has his silver eyes and he's just like hanging out and then she comes to visit him because she's gonna like study him or whatever but like is it is she defending him because like is it one she's infatuated with him for some reason or is it two she's you know, as we find out, she's developing these powers as well. So she's like kind of sympathetic because she's like him. I, I mean, I think it was two, but like you don't get that. Mm-hmm. Until I actually last, like, thought it minutes. was a simpler, lazier, more human answer, which was that this was probably all male writers and they were writing a female doctor and they wrote her as a woman. Which mm-hmm. I guess to them meant that she's gonna be like, ooh la la, you have silver eyes. Now I like you. Um, instead of writing <laughs> so her as like a doctor, like it felt mm-hmm. like they did kind of move backwards in representation of a of a woman. Like in the first pilot, there is that number one who's sort of like has a personality outside of being a bimbo, and here it felt like they struggled with that a little bit more with this character. Mm-hmm. Like I keep saying about this, this is kind of the thing I'm going to keep an eye on while we watch the original series is the forward thinking of this. And then also they have to put in like the 60s misogyny uh, because they think that will appeal to the audience, you know. So it's definitely a a big fight of like progressiveness versus being of the time so that they can 
um, appeal to people. It's interesting though, like even watching shows that are like 10 years old, it it's amazing how much stuff just makes you cringe. Like, mm-hmm. um, friends is probably more like 20 or 30 years old now, but like mm-hmm. it, it is, there are some episodes that are so homophobic that it's like mm-hmm. deeply difficult to watch. And mm-hmm. so like, pop culture just moves so fast and with a you know normal tv series you're the volume of what you're writing and the pace of it would not be subject to i think reflection and thought it would just be like such a capsule of like what is like acceptable and mainstream right now um you know what is not going to be super controversial and innocuous um and so i think that's actually kind of interesting like yeah, women can be doctors now, but they don't treat them any differently than any other women, you know? <laughs> well, too, like, uh, in the first um, episode, the first pilot with Pike in it, he's just like, man, I just can't get used to women, you know, working on the bridge with us. So it's like, even in the future, it's such a new concept yeah. to have women in the workplace that even in, you know, like 200 years from the 60s, it's still like such a new mind blowing thing. Well, and even in this episode, the um, the silver-eyed guy, uh, Mitch, says something like, there's almost 100 women on board. And it's like, what? Isn't this like a <laughs> ship of thousands? Like, what is happening? I don't know exactly. I don't know because um, in TNG, there's definitely like a thousand people-ish on that ship. But I don't think this Enterprise is that big. I think it's oh. only... I'd look it up. Yeah. I don't have a keyboard, we'll, though. We'll have to look that up. Well, I don't even know what I would Google. How big is the Enterprise in the original series? Yeah. I sometimes think that the things that I type in Google is just like, good God, woman, shut up. Did you guys ever see the movie Phenomenon with uh, John Travolta? I, it's been forever, yes. but yes. I mean, it was, it was, it was pretty similar where, because it, it's actually a really cool uh, concept for a show because... John Travolta is just like your average blue collar guy in a small town. And then one day he sees like a shooting star and like it just instantly changes his brain chemistry uh, where he is. He just excels exponentially and and his his mental powers just grow to the like he's not psychic, I don't think. I think he can like detect. He can like move stuff with his mind. But like he's reading a Yeah. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's kind of the same thing where like you just start out by reading a ton of books like he does. And actually Brent Spiner's in that movie too, Weird. the guy who plays Data. Oh, cool. Um, and then and then you accelerate to the point where like your brain chemistry can't handle it anymore mm-hmm. because humans aren't built to be that smart, kind of Lovecraftian. And mm-hmm. then he, he dies. Uh, spoiler if you haven't seen that <laughs> mid 90s John Travolta <laughs> movie. I thought that he, he didn't see... Uh, a craft or whatever they found out he had a tumor and that that was somehow it was giving him all the powers it was like which i feel like now the way we understand science we would not buy that that's hilarious to think that a tumor is going to like wow i'm suddenly super smart um but yeah he did die (laughs) you just need to get the right kind of tumor (laughs) and so and so Mitch is doing like the the same stuff where he's like reading mm-hmm. uh, tapes. And when we when you say a book on tape, we think something a little different now. But he's reading <laughs> books on tape, which are 
NES cartridges he plugs into his tiny little screen. It's and like then he's, an original <laughs> I like the scene where, she, where the doctor's like, <laughs> yeah, the doctor's like, oh, do you remember all these books that you're reading? And he's like, of course. And then she just like, okay, read this one. She picks out a tape, page 500. And he's like, and he just recites it. And he's like, that was uh, one of the most sensual sonatas ever written. I'm surprised you picked that one. <laughs> She's like, I just picked it out of a random pile. Don't get too excited. Even there. better oh, is that uh, when Kirk comes to visit him, he's like, I'm reading a lot of books. He calls it that long hair stuff you like. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, the par- that whole scene. I have no idea what the hell they were talking about. There was like so many inside jokes they were like sharing with each other. I I, I could not parse what they were like talking about. It's funny because uh, it's like a combination of like 60s like slang and lingo with them inventing their own like mm-hmm. futuristic lingo. It's like, oh, that was Nova. And I'm like, what does that mean? Like there's so many things. And uh, one time they're like, he's like, flash the bridge. Which I think means like call them, but maybe video call them. I don't know. But it's just just this hard kind of lingo of like, you know, what it is like 60 years ago. And then them trying to like figure out what, how people in the future would talk also. So yeah, you're definitely right. There's a lot of like weird that's stuff. That's also very there. 60s to like invent lingo and slang for the future. Like that's not something you see very often anymore. Um, so it's this enterprise has 430 people. According to Star Trek. Okay, good. I tried to find it and I was like, no, yeah. I cannot find that. Okay. Well, that makes a lot more sense. I was thinking it was like one of the big like residential ones. And I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> no, they don't have kids on this one. Unlike TNG. There's no kids in on this enterprise. Ugh, God. I love that meeting that they have to talk about Mitch and what to do with him. Um, and I love Sulu because he's like, oh, this is the math of it. And he's like, think if you were like given a penny and you double your penny every day. And then um, after a month, you'll be a millionaire. And I was just thinking like, of course, you know, like they put that in there to explain to the audience like what's happening. But like in the future, those should be like such foreign concepts. I wish someone was like, what's a penny? What are you talking about? And he says like, you know, his powers are growing geometrically. They're like, we all knew what you were talking about, Zulu. Like, I don't know what a millionaire is or a penny, but we got to solve this problem. I think that's, uh, it's funny to think about that. Like, I would think newer generations of Star Trek are self-aware in that way, but these are not yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's, it is really funny to watch those sort of like failures or slip. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Also, on a less uh, intelligent note, the Dr. Daner, the lady doctor who gets the silver eyes later, uh, looks like Lana Del Rey. <laughs> <laughs> that explains her attitude. I feel like, God, now I want to see them reboot this yeah. and have Lana Del Rey. It's a little bit of Jane world. Lynch, but it's mostly Lana Del Rey. Just play your ESP games. <laughs> Clint and I had a real obsession with Lana Del Rey, not her music, but it was mostly just that she was so like weird and flat affect and like every interview with her, you were just kind of like, what did I read? And it was kind of fun to have that recognition. I was like, oh, it's our old friend. <laughs> so I think the uh, the episode's pretty boring until you get to um, kind of the end sequence. Is there anything else that you guys want to bring up until... The kind of like oh, end fight. Yes. Yeah. 
uh, one, there's one scene where they have a meeting and they have these like multicolored squares in front of the table. And I was like, oh, how funny. They have sticky notes. And then I was like, wait a minute. When were sticky notes invented? And it was two years after this episode. So I don't know what they were trying to represent with those squares that were instantly recognizable as uh, sticky notes to me. Uh, But I thought that was kind of fun. When they decide that they're going to uh, kill Mitchell. Mitch, is that his name? Mm Mm-hmm. So he's becoming too much of a danger and Mitch is aware that they're going to kill him. And he's like, yeah, I'd probably do it too (laughs) if I were you, but good luck. You're not going to be able to, uh, they managed to knock him out. And I love Spock the entire time. He's just like, you got to kill him. Just like kill him, him, dude, just kill him. But Kirk does, Kirk doesn't want to do it because they have, they go way back and they have their own little language that they have between the two of them. And, uh, so they stun him. And I'm sure they were sitting in the script room and they're like, okay, they stun him and then they carry him out to the transporter. And then they're like, no, Leonard Nimoy said he's not going to carry anybody. He has a bad back. And uh, William Shatner says he's not carrying anybody either. So what do we do? How about we stun him and then he sleepwalks <laughs> his way to the, <laughs> to the <laughs> transporter. And that's what he does. Like he's stunned, but he just like shambles with like his eyes closed and they walk him to the transporter. And I just thought that that was, that it was, was a, a very good. low power. <laughs> he walks it. <laughs> they like, they like inject him with something, right? They like, yeah, I guess he was very suggestible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that was a funny scene. I also like when his friend visits him and he goes, ah, 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 how you doing, man? It was just like such a weird like exclamation that he made. And he's like, oh, you got to like redo those connections or you'll blow the whole deck. I really liked when Spock was trying to convince Kirk to take him down to the planet surface and leave him down there and mm-hmm. kill him. And I, I just really liked the indecision that Kirk had where he was like, I cannot decide. Like, I really don't know the best thing to do. Uh, I just thought I, like it was just like a private scene of them in the office and Spock trying to convince him and Kirk's like, I cannot make a decision about this. I just thought that that was really cool that there was no like cocksure like, all right, let's do it. Like you just, there's that, a lot of humanity that. Feels that. Very that was Star a great Trek. back and forth. Mm-hmm. I love, also love it too when he was like, what makes you better than a psychologist to make this decision? I don't remember that part. No. Do you guys remember when he, yeah, yeah he... Like, uh, Spock is like, you gotta kill him. And he's like, but Dr. Daner says he's fine. Like, what what oh, makes you yeah. more qualified to make this decision than her? And then he's, uh, Spock is basically like, well, I don't have emotions. I'm logical. So, you know, none of you can see this because you're all clouded by your emotions. Uh, when they take him down and they have him in the prison area, is that where we're headed yeah. towards right now? Yeah, yeah. I, I really liked... I I really like the way that guy was strangled to death by a cable. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. It's pretty great. <laughs> he was the guy who was supposed to blow yeah. it up, right? If anything yeah, bad was going to happen. Yeah, he was supposed to blow up yeah. the facility. And he, yeah. It was like uh, the cable became alive. It was, uh, it, was, it was enjoyable. That was great. That was great. So were they always going to kill him? I thought they were just going to maroon him at first. I thought that they... I thought they were going to maroon him, and then Kirk was like, if I don't come back, blow it all up. Mm -hmm. Because I think they were just like, we just have to maroon him and then get away from him. Which, one, I don't think if he he has god powers, like, that's not, marooning him is not going to solve your problems. You definitely got to kill him, which Spock was right on that counts. At one point, I don't know who says it, but they say James R. Kirk. Did you notice that? No, I didn't. Is James? 
It was like James Raul Kirk or whatever, <laughs> but they do change that. It's James T. Kirk. <laughs> the T stands for Tiberius, right? Yeah, it does. Yes. That's funny. I like maybe uh, James R. Kirk is his is his brother. His or brother. I, they also because, you know, this is very subtle and they're not uh, going heavy handed at all. But the uh, silver eyed guy, him and Kirk start wrestling, wrestling. And um, he makes a grave appear with a tombstone, like a very haunted house looking yeah. tombstone that says James R. Kirk. <laughs> so maybe the mistake uh. in the <laughs> middle initial was the gods uh weakness his one fallibility is that maybe he, he just people's middle names instantly <laughs> maybe he and mitch yeah. just weren't as close as he I, thought they how were how great would that have been <laughs> like, if like I've... uh kirk looked at it and then he just turned and looked at him he's like you idiot my middle name isn't raul <laughs> And then I, Mitch, I, uh, Mitch goes, no! And then his head turns into like a mannequin and then explodes, you know? <laughs> I texted a buddy of mine last week, uh, happy birthday, and I forgot his birthday was in April. But my phone said that it was last week. But I feel like it's kind of the same thing where it was just like a really honest mistake. Uh, like he's so really embarrassed like- that he subconsciously just yeah. like kills himself. That's like what Mitch does. He's just like, oh, I can't believe I forgot that. I'm or it would be, it'd be friend. like some callback to their conversation earlier. He's like, you don't know everything about me. Like, and then he stabs him and he's like, you didn't know I had that knife and you didn't know my middle name is really Tiberius. <laughs> I thought that the speech before they start fighting was really cool where they're talking mm-hmm. about human frailties, um, where he's talking with Elizabeth about about all that stuff. I like, I thought, I thought it was really cool that we have, we just, from the writer's point of view, we just met this new captain. Uh, He goes all Rambo all by himself to go stop this God from ascending uh, on this deserted planet. And instead of fighting, he has just this really cool speech with Elizabeth about what it means to be a human. And then he goes to Mitch and has a, has a, really passionate speech about why he has to stop this right now. Mm -hmm. And he's trying to like play them off of each other. And it's cool. Like he's like a diplomat and then it doesn't work. And he just starts fucking punching God after that. (laughs) And And I thought that that was perfect. And he gets his shirt all ripped and man, he shows off that nice, handsome collarbone, Mm. man, that Kirk collarbone. Let me tell you. It's all all sweaty. (laughs) Listen, Kirk can do everything. He can be a long hair. He can be a captain. He can talk about philosophy, but he'll wrestle you and he's a sex symbol. What more do you need in a captain? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And he'll be... And and he'll be... be Space chess. (laughs) Space chess with his illogical moves. We forgot to mention the best, like, scene in the episode, which happens a little earlier, where... uh, Someone like said, hey, we beamed down that new gun for you, Captain. And he's like, I didn't ask for a new gun. And it's like this gigantic rifle. And then Spock (laughs) steps out of nowhere and he's like, oh, yeah, sorry, I ordered that. And it's like, it's huge. I thought that that was really funny. I love all the Uh, gun designs. Kirk, yeah, Kirk takes the gun with him. And uh, spoiler, he ends up he ends up killing Mitch because Mitch falls into the grave he made for James R. Kirk. But then Kirk shoots the right. 
Is yeah, that he does yeah. the rock. The rocks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then and then the rocks fall on the grave, and well, that's the end. And it I was put just here the in my one... notes. Yeah, go for it. Or I said I put here in my notes, guns solve everything. <laughs> because it wasn't the speech that stopped him, and it wasn't like punching him to death. It was really just one well aimed shot from a from a nice gun. It's not even uh, which solved yeah. the problem. It's not even that though. It, the guns is what gets you to the final solution, which is bashing someone's head open with a rock. And I like how the rock was perfectly like it had the perfect kind of jut to like smash him in the grave. Like if that was a flat rock, it wouldn't have killed him. It had to have like a little nub to like go into the grave and and just completely seal in the god powers. It- and, and this is a it. complaint I have with like all action movies because I'm a killjoy, but like the hero will be like, I won't kill you. And, but like they'll cause these explosions that kill extras or like Star Trek, especially in DS9, <laughs> they just have casual murder of like people all the time, but they won't kill a main character. But there's also this thing of like, that's really bizarre about violence movies to me that like, it is totally acceptable that Kirk is going to beat someone in the head with a rock to death. But the idea of him point blank shooting him with like a space rifle would never happen. Like there's something very weird in Hollywood about that. He's not a barbarian. Like collateral damage is fine, but you You can't can't murder. And if you're going to murder, you have to do it with your bare hands. I do love the part where they're basically trying to smash each other's heads open with rocks. And it's like 22nd century problems call for 22nd century solutions. Smash his head open with a rock. You know? I also like, did you guys like the battle between uh, Dr. Daner and Mitch? Yeah. When they're I wrote, shooting. I wrote in my notes, ESP battle hyphen South Park because it was exactly like <laughs> like they're just yeah it was cool I liked it well I too I feel like she's like I shoot lightning at you and then he's like I shoot lightning back and she's like I'm tired I'm just gonna sit down for a second so I can continue to shoot lightning at you and he's like oh I'm tired too and then she's like I'm just gonna lay down and shoot lightning this <laughs> is very it was very subdued I mean you always like to have a snack and a nap after you shoot lightning <laughs> <laughs> you're right that is correct just i like to shoot a little bit of lightning you know have a light snack some cheese and crackers and then just take a nap Start, on some rocks while my friends battle back to around the later see if i can improve the situation you know is more lightning called for should i send this one out you've got it i'm gonna go back to sleep i like too how she just conveniently dies like you know after mitch is killed she's just like i'm dying now I'm glad I could solve your problems. And then she's, uh, yeah, I would have, I would have loved if it wasn't the sixties, what would happen is Kirk's like, okay, I killed him. Now I got to kill you and just smash her head with a, a rock and be like, okay. Or if he up. killed Mitch and then he turned around and was like, I liked that. And he just approaches her <laughs> with a <the> rock. <laughs> Uh, I think it's just so they they couldn't have someone like they couldn't have him kill her, so they just had to have her conveniently die, so he wasn't like killing a woman. Or yeah, like well, it's also like, yeah, they did some weird thing there where they killed her, or they killed they had to kill her because if there was a cure, then Kirk murdered without cause, and yeah, <laughs> like 
I guess it's too early for that. She's just like, <laughs> she's just like oh, oh lordy, I have the silver eyed vapors. I guess I'll just die now. Well, no one will marry me if I got silver eyes. Might as well leave me here to starve. <laughs> You know, the only other note I had was uh, Scottish guy, exclamation mark, LOL, which I have no idea what that means anymore. <laughs> Scotty was in this episode. He, he It's pretty great to see kind of the proto crew coming together with Sulu and, and Scotty and stuff. Yeah, uh, it is fun. This one, and then I think we talk about it next time, that Sulu wears many hats in the beginning. Mm-hmm. he's a searcher he's just looking for a place where he belongs <laughs> uh, i think it was probably a, a good idea that they didn't lead with this one because it honest it wasn't a very great episode mm-hmm. it had a really slow middle uh it was it, 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 it had one action scene at the very very end which was like it was pretty good like it, it wasn't bad at all but I was happy when this episode was over because I did not really like it at all. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, was, a, it was an okay episode. What you, um, would you think, Emily? I liked Kirk so much more than the other captain. But yeah, it was very uh, wooly. It was very messy. Like, mm-hmm. they don't need all of the things. Like, And I've, I noticed that in the other one that we're going to talk about. That the, the plots are kind of like they're mm-hmm. throwing a lot in there and they haven't quite found their... their mm-hmm character's heart yet and they haven't found how the show is just going to work um but i did find that i feel like they're getting there in this episode with spock and kirk and so that was kind of fun to see that like oh Mm -hmm. these characters are they've nailed this but they're still kind of yeah finding their way with a lot of other elements my uh my prediction coming up is that the second act of these episodes is going to continue to be pretty weak because i know the one that we're going to talk about next week has a very weak second act where mm-hmm. well, well we'll get to it but yeah this one had a weak second act the f- the the previous episode the the first pilot like i mean it was a like it's just like a bunch of visions <laughs> over and over you know mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. yeah it's hard to fill out an hour. Like I, I wouldn't want to do it. Yeah. You have a really cool idea and you have a mm-hmm. way that it's going to end and then you got to yeah, pat no it kidding, out. Right? It's especially insane thinking about how most, um, uh, television shows now are like 20 minutes. Yeah. This one, it de- it definitely seemed like they could probably do it in like a tighter half an hour and it could probably be a little bit better. Um, but yeah, like going back and talking about Kirk versus, um, Pike, Kirk kind of, he's a bit more of a dynamic character. I think he has all the good points that Pike has, which he's kind of very ponderous. You know, he really thinks things through and not only on like a tactical level, but a philosophical level. Um, but then he's not got a, also got a smaller of- chin, though. <laughs> what? <laughs> smaller chin. Yeah. He, he has a smaller chin than Pike. <laughs> yeah, Pike. Pike could probably break out of that menagerie with that that chin of his. He was keeping that in his back pocket. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I do like Kirk. He's 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 fun. He definitely has that kind of swashbuckling kind of vibe to it. And I think I don't think it would have been as successful if it wasn't for for Kirk. Um, you know, punching a guy <laughs> and then talking about human frailty. So. Yes. So um, go out there and punch gods. Yep. That's what I encourage people to do. If you see someone with silver eyes, you got to punch them. 
and kill them with a rock. You just got to kill them. Straight up murder I, right away. There will be no consequences. Um, I like the idea. I like the idea that this is just like a Tuesday for, you know, like Kirk and Spock. Like this happens all the time <laughs> where like your crew members get like psychic powers and you have to like put them out of their misery like a dog. You know, and it's just like, it, like Kirk is like hanging out with some other captains and someone's like, how's it going? And it's like, oh man, you know, one of my crew members got ESP again. And then another captain is like, oh man, I'm sorry. So you had to kill him. And Kirk's like, yep, I had to smash him with a rock. And then the other captain's like, man, I, I feel ya. One of my, you know, helmsmen got psychic powers a month ago and I had to smash his head open with a rock too. And it's just like, yep, you know, being a captain is rough. Yeah, like the paperwork on that is just unbelievable. <laughs> I like to imagine too. They have shotguns still, like you know, old shotguns. And he's just like, oh, Sonso got psychic powers. He's like, oh, damn it! And he just loads the shotgun. He's like, you know, we have phasers. It's like this is how we take care of it. And then you just take them out, you know, out by the nacelles and and take care of them and. And then you just keep keep Take on Take them warping. to like a hollow suite where it looks like they're sitting by a river and they're like, look how pretty the mountains are over there. <laughs> Tell me about the silver-eyed only- rabbits. <laughs> <laughs> I know we've only watched two episodes so far, but it's not looking good for this the, the starring female <laughs> actor in each episode. Because the last one got tricked into spending the rest of her life as a prisoner. And then this one died. <laughs> And I know on the next one it's not good. Yeah, this That's just, it's that's the sixties. They're right? the Women mothers of all the red shirts. Yeah. <laughs> uh two uh one thing I wanna and I love I love in Star Trek when they just say like alien, you know, like adjective and then earth uh noun. We're like, hey, uh he makes some Kovirian mm-hmm. apples with uh with his mind. And they're eating them, and I don't know what fruit they are in real life, but they're not apples. And so, like, who named it? We're like the Kuvirians, like, hey, look, we have these apples. These are we call these apples. And humans are like, whoa, that's crazy. We have a fruit on Earth that we call apples. And then the Kuvirians are like, yeah, but these are our apples, so you have to call them Kuvirian apples. But he's like, this is more of a mango, and they're like, nope, <laughs> it's an apple. And they're like, okay. <laughs> It's like Indian paintbrush, I think. <laughs> like, no, we have a we have a name for this. Mm. Indian paintbrush. My favorite one is that uh, in like every language, pineapple looks like ananas, uh, and like uh-huh. all languages, it's ananas, ananas. And then English, they're like, no, we're gonna call bananas that, and this is a pineapple. And I was like, what the fuck is a pineapple? <laughs> like, we've all agreed that this is an ananas. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, English. Esperanto, right. what do you think? You mediate. <laughs> Get in here, Esperanto. Isn't uh, Shatner's a big uh, Esperanto can, uh, proponent? I know he speaks it. What? Really? Uh, yeah. I did not I know, know that, that either. Yeah. What a weird way that we were able to talk mm-hmm. about Shatner and Esperanto without knowing that. <laughs> hey, Clint, I know we don't have a theme song for this yet. But I was thinking you could get the rights to William Shatner singing Common People. <laughs> Not Rocket she Man. She came from Greece. She had a thirst for knowledge. It's a great one with Ben Folds. Uh, oh, awesome. That's cool. <laughs> I love Ben Folds. I'll get right on that. I'll talk to Shatner's people. He doesn't do podcasts. I know he doesn't. I don't want him on his podcast. I just want the right to his music. 
Well, now he's never going to be on the podcast now that you said <laughs> now that. Now that I said that. No, it's like now he wants to because he can't he's be He's not on invited. <laughs> yeah. William Shatner, you're not invited to this podcast. What about what about Chris Pine? Chris Pine? Yeah, he can come on. Okay. I mean, listen, I'm okay with these rules. Also, uh, maybe we can get Patrick Stewart on here. His, uh, his wife uh, went to high school what, in Reno. Really? Yeah, Reno High uh, School. My that's high school. Weird. So, yeah, sometimes she comes to Reno and sings jazz, what I think. F- if he does. Yeah, there was a while ago where she came to St. James Infirmary and she did like a, a jazz night or whatever. Hmm. But he wasn't there. If he does, we should just, uh, we should find the most like, like probably the questions he's asked the most and just give him like the worst 40 minutes of his life. <laughs> like, what was it like going bald so early? <laughs> Did you like playing Professor X and John Luke Picard? <laughs> Two biggest nerds in pop culture, right? Just misquote Shakespeare the whole time. Cool. <laughs> that thou had made our final fantasy. <laughs> All right. Well, this episode seems to be tapering out. Does anyone want to talk about anything else? Absolutely not. Nope. Cool. All right. Well, um, until we see you next, guys, keep on trekking. No, don't do that.